Hello, everyone, and welcome to Consumer Watchdog's Rage for Justice Report, our weekly conversation about the issues that we're exposing, confronting, and changing. I'm your host, Carmen Balber, Executive Director of Consumer Watchdog, and Election Day is just around the corner. And even though a record number of people have voted early in California and across the country, there are still a lot of people who haven't. So we thought we'd use our last podcast before the election to give everyone more background and a better understanding of why we need Proposition 24, the measure on California's Tuesday ballot, to strengthen California's privacy protections and why we need greater regulation of the technology industry in general. My guest this week is super exciting. It's Roger McNamee, who is one of the technology experts who's endorsed Prop 24. Uh, he was an early investor in Facebook, and he's the author of a book many of you have probably read, uh, the New York Times bestselling Zucked, Waking Up to the Facebook Catastrophe. Welcome to the show, Roger. It is such a pleasure to be here. Really appreciate you taking the time because I know you're busy, as we all are. Um, so can we start at maybe 10,000 feet? Uh, you're a Silicon Valley investor, yet you've endorsed Prop 24 to regulate the tech industry. Why? Well, so I invested in the tech industry beginning in 1982, right before personal computers were a big thing. And I was lucky enough to be part of the Silicon Valley community forever after that. And I got to see every major change, got to be a participant in some of them. And along the way, I met Mark Zuckerberg. I was introduced to him when he was 22 years old. Uh, he had started Facebook a couple years before that. It was still only available to high school and college students. There was no news feed, but he was facing a crisis, a crisis that I helped him resolve. And from that began a three-year period where I was one of his mentors. So I was super close to Facebook. At the beginning of 2016, uh, I had just retired from the investment business because my value system was incompatible with the kind of companies that were coming out. Think of things like Uber and Lyft and, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Jewel, the guys who made the vape pens and, you know, Airbnb, things like that that were really predatory and I just couldn't do it anymore. So I retired and immediately started to see things going on on Facebook that I thought were a threat to democracy and civil rights. And it took me a number of months to really understand what I was seeing. I reached out to Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg nine days before the presidential election in 2016 to warn them because I thought there was something about the algorithms, the business model, and the culture of Facebook that was allowing bad people to hurt innocent people and that it was going to be an issue for democracy and civil rights and that Facebook should not want to allow that to happen and should get all over it. You can imagine, based on what's happened since, that they did not take my uh, warning seriously, although we did talk about it for months. I then became an activist and I've been trying to raise the alarm about what I think is a very dangerous business model that prevails among Facebook, Google, uh, Twitter, and a handful of others. It's what uh, Shoshana Zuboff characterizes as surveillance capitalism. And it creates a set of incentives that corrupts technology that is otherwise really valuable. So my gripe is not with social media. It's not with search. It's not with online videos. It's with algorithmic amplification of the most extreme voices in a way that undermines democracy 
public health, civil rights, privacy, and competition in the economy. So you talked about that recently in the new Netflix documentary, which I really like, The Social Dilemma, um, that talks about this dangerous impact of social media algorithms on, on democracy and, um, frankly, I think human free will. Um, and there, there's this creepy AI character um, who's, who's an actor whose job is kind of to drive home how social media isn't just targeting ads at us because we want to buy a pair of Nikes. It is manipulating us and all of the information we receive to change how we think and feel. And that's the pernicious aspect of these manip manipulative algorithms. That's so true. And it, think of it this way. Like all forms of, of broadcast media, so radio, television, uh, newspapers, these guys, their primary business is driven by advertising. So they need our attention. They need us to see the ads. So the initial focus was on what they would call engagement, capturing our attention and holding it. They discovered because of human nature that the best way to grab our attention was to appeal to our fear or our outrage, essentially emotionally triggering us. What kind of content does that? Hate speech, disinformation, and conspiracy theories. Now, we don't pay attention to that necessarily because we like the content. We pay attention to it because it triggers our flight or fight instinct. And the thing is, once you get into a mode where your business model is based on triggering people, there's really no limit. So it starts out as getting more attention to have you see more ads. But pretty soon it tips over into another thing because they realize that if they accumulate enough data, if they do enough surveillance, if they capture not just what we do on the web, but what we do in the real world every time we use a credit card or every time we get a medical test or every time we move around and just carry our smartphone, that all that data allows them to construct a data voodoo doll and they can sell predictions of our likely behavior. But even more important, if they get far enough along with this data, they can actually use their control of the environment that we're living in, you know, in terms of our online life, to control our choices and therefore to manipulate our behavior. And we are very advanced in this process right now. And the thing is, it can be triggered from the outside. So if you think about it from a political standpoint, what's really dangerous is that tiny minorities with very extreme viewpoints can exploit those that advertising system to promote ideas that are dangerous. Think about COVID denial. The United States has a uniquely horrible track record relative to COVID. Why? Well, the answer is because in this country, mask wearing went from being a public health issue to an issue of identity and politics. And so suddenly not wearing a mask became an identity thing. Now, that was not something that happened organically. That was created. The same thing happened relative to QAnon where Facebook's recommendation engine, which their own data says that 64% of the time when someone joins an extremist Facebook group, they do it because of a Facebook recommendation. So Facebook has admitted that there were at least 3 million members 
of its largest QAnon groups and pages, which means that Facebook pushed with its recommendation engine, it pushed 2 million people into QAnon, an organization that the FBI has characterized as a, a domestic terror group. And so when you think about this, the business model isn't built around hate speech, disinformation, and conspiracy theories. However, those are the lubricant. They are the indispensable cog that gets the whole system working. And it has become a clear and present danger to our democracy, to our public health, to our privacy, and to the economy itself. And so I have been a forceful advocate now for nearly four years for both changes in the rules and especially for um, regulation of the business model and of essentially tech. It, it, tech is unique in the economy because essentially all other disciplines that involve engineering are legally obligated to protect the interests, not just the people who use the products, but anyone affected by them. And that's true in the building trades. It's true with medical devices and pharmaceuticals. It's true with chemicals, but it's not true in tech. In tech, you can undermine a presidential election. You can trigger a genocide. You can cause 100,000 or 200,000 people to die in a pandemic, not because you're the agent, but because your amplification allows bad agents to harm people. And there are no consequences for you for doing that. And I think that's wrong. And we have to approach the problem, recognizing that there are three different kinds of harm. There's harms around competition. That's where antitrust law comes in. There are harms around privacy. And so we need things around that. And there are harms around safety. And you may have heard of something called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. That is, that's the thing that provides a safe harbor that exempts internet platforms from responsibility for anything done by a third party. And that has been interpreted by the courts as a blanket immunity. And that is so dangerous for consumers that we have to do something about it. But the key thing to understand, and this is my big takeaway, I'm not anti-tech. I'm anti-surveillance capitalism. I believe that if we can put an end to surveillance capitalism, that that will cause a thousand flowers to bloom. I'm a huge believer that the US economy's big problem today is that we forgot that capitalism is not a natural state of nature. We forgot that capitalism requires the government to be an active rule setter and rule enforcer. And in forgetting those things, in removing the government from our economy, from active management of our economy, we allowed a concentration of economic power. We allowed monopolization across every industry. And the problem is that monopoly is inherently authoritarian where capitalism is inherently democratic. So when people blame what's going on now on capitalism, it's based on thinking that monopoly is just a form of capitalism. I would argue that monopoly is as different from capitalism as Soviet communism was. That, you know, it's more like Soviet communism. It's a very authoritarian model, uh, monopoly is. And, uh, and capitalism was created by, you know, was chosen by our founding fathers because it promoted the kind of 
you know, individual liberties that were so important to the people who, who, who got America started. So all of that is really food for thought, and we've been engaged in, uh, in several of those aspects. We've fought against uh, Google, uh, Google's uh, monopoly of uh, the search world and expansion uh, ever since they used to claim that their motto was don't be evil, and recently uh, worked uh, to create a modest exemption in Section 234, uh, Victims of Online Sex Trafficking, um, and so, uh, Prop 24 is the other is the other uh, 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 what's the word prong of that uh, to help consumers crack the code in the privacy world. So it's not a panacea for all those problems, but what it does is really get at that those pernicious results of the micro targeting uh, by allowing us to tell Facebook you can't sell or share my data, and in fact, you can't use what I think is a really critical protection, uh, my sensitive personal information. So my race, my religion, my union membership, my health, uh, my uh, financial information, uh, my sex and sexual orientation to set your algorithms to even more precisely target me and send me down those rabbit holes of hate. This is such an important point because the challenge that we face as consumers is that every time we use a credit card, every time we travel, every time we interact with an electronic system, we leave a digital footprint behind. And those under current law, those footprints are considered to be an asset to any corporation that touches them. And so there is a marketplace that has developed for our personal data. And it is freely bought and sold. Now, there's some people like Google and Facebook, uh, well, especially Google, who do not sell data, but they buy a ton of it. And the fact they don't sell it's irrelevant because there are some, you know, that data that looks like that is available from so many different sources that consumers have no power. And worse than that, they don't even know who owns their, who has their data. I'm a big subscriber to. Uh, the theory espoused by Shoshana Zuboff, the author of The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, that our personal data in a digital world is an extension of our body. It is like a bodily organ. We are not allowed to sell a kidney for a really good reason, a very powerful moral values reason. And I believe the same thing should be true of personal data. We're not in a position to make that happen today. So the question is, what's the best we can get? And Proposition 24 is, in my opinion, a very important step forward. No one should imagine that it is perfect. The people who oppose it have, in some cases, valid reasons. In some cases, I think they're looking for a perfect solution in a world where perfect solutions are few and far between. But this is a huge advance. This would give you much more control. This will force people who want to use or transfer your data to reveal themselves. And the things that are wrong with it are all things we can fix legislatively. This is a very unusual California referendum in that it is designed to be improved upon. And so it will not be carved in stone unalterable for all time. And I think that's an incredibly positive thing. And so I've been a very strong supporter of this along with Professor Zuboff 
who you know is absolutely the thought leader on the business model issues of these platforms and many many others and uh i would encourage any listener who is in california to study this and to recognize that politics in america is not like dating you're not looking for the person you're going to marry it's really more like public transportation you're just trying to get closer to your destination and in this context, this is a bus that goes a long way in the direction I want to go. <laughs> I like that analogy. Appreciate that analogy. So, uh, Roger, I don't want to take up all your time. I really appreciate the insight into how companies are manipulating uh, what we think and do. Um, I know that uh, maybe we can maybe we can end on just a, a slightly different topic, which is the national push uh, to create more accountability for the tech industry. And while Consumer Watchdog is nonpartisan, I know that you've been involved um, in the political world uh, trying to push uh, these technology changes with candidates as well. And you did something big recently uh, in the presidential race. We did. Now, keep in mind, I have tried to be nonpartisan also. I helped all sides. I've worked actually very closely with the Department of Justice's antitrust division. I've, I've attempted with middling success to work with the Federal Trade Commission. I've met with a number of Republican lawmakers. I've met with many Democratic lawmakers. At present, there is a bipartisan enthusiasm for antitrust intervention. The House Antitrust Subcommittee report was in fact agreed to by the Republicans, which is a huge and very positive step forward. I think everyone understands that there is something deeply un-American about monopoly. And so I think there is a, an openness to that. And there is, I think, a, an increasing awareness that there is something wrong uh, with the safe harbor. And therefore, we do need safety regulations. Now, the Republicans have a different vision of why we should be amending Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, but they are open to it. Privacy is the place where I think states are going to have to take the lead because it's, uh, you know, figuring out what the right answer is, is going to take a bunch of steps. So this past week, I was part of a team that organized an event uh, for the Biden-Harris campaign that was designed to bring together folks who were deeply involved in the technology reform movement. So Senator Elizabeth Warren. Uh, New York State Attorney General Tish James, uh, House Antitrust Subcommittee Chair David Cicilline were the keynote speakers. And then we had uh, a group of activists uh, that were in a panel that included Professor Shoshana Zuboff from Harvard, uh, Professor Sophia Noble, uh, who is uh, extraordinary. She's the person who identified the structural biases in algorithms that exist throughout technology and the way that they harm women and people of color. Uh, Tim Wu, who has been a foremost authority on antitrust, he's at the Columbia Law School, uh, and myself, we, we were the panel. And the goal of this was really simple, to say to um, the Biden administration, you cannot re restore democracy if you don't also restore capitalism, that we have to get away from this notion that monopoly is okay, 
in the United States because it it undermines democracy at its heart. And the group of people here were essentially saying to the Biden-Harris administration that if you get elected, you can count on us to be supportive. We would love to have a seat at the table to help guide a Biden administration through the challenges. And there will be huge challenges because if you think about it, algorithmic amplification of extreme voices has prevented any action on climate change for at least the last decade. And I mean, the use by petroleum companies of internet platforms to manipulate the conversation about climate change is now increasingly well documented. It's obviously a huge issue for things like white supremacy and QAnon, right? These platforms are core to that. Uh, they've been unbelievably central to the horrible U.S. response to the pandemic. And so if you look at all of these things, no matter what the priorities of the Biden administration are, they're going to have to do something about the Internet platforms in order to get back to the notion of one person, one vote, because Facebook and Google and Twitter give the most extreme voices the equivalent of 100 votes. And that's that's wrong. I really agree. Well, uh, really appreciate your time, Roger. It's been good talking to you. This was fantastic. Thank you so much. And vote yes on 24, everybody. We need uh, we need to have better privacy in California. We need to be the nation's leader on this. Well, I echo uh, Roger's urging that you all uh, vote yes on Prop 24. Um, this week, uh, you can also find my colleague Jamie Court uh, on another another podcast, the Malware Podcast. You can find it on our Twitter feeds. Um, if you haven't already, I urge you all to get out to the uh, get your ballot out right now and vote. Um, thanks everyone again for listening. Deliver, deliver it to a ballot to a Dropbox. Don't don't put it in the mail. To an and, official Dropbox. And if you don't mind my saying so, vote no on twenty two. That's a horrible thing for labor. And uh, that one as well. Echo that one as well. Well, thanks so much, Roger. Take care. Thanks for having me. I'm your host, Carmen Balber. We'll talk again next week on the Rage for Justice Report.